0: good to have our older kids in here on the last Sunday. Amen. How are we? We good? Yeah, good. Sounds like a a good Sunday so far. You guys got some good energy this morning. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we'll be here in just a minute. Colossians chapter 3. Thank you, uh, Cassie, for leading them in that and to all of our teachers. It's important what you do. When you're in the back, it's important. That time that you are back there, it it is valuable. Do you know that? I think you'll know it. Maybe a little more even after today, because Colossians is right on time for us once again. Kids, um, I, found, uh, I found something good here for you to start out with. When I was a kid, my preacher uh, always liked to start off with something funny. Even if it had nothing to do with the message, he just liked to start off with something funny. So I thought, being this is the last Sunday of the month and you were in here, I'd find something that was, uh, that was geared towards you. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Hey, Bonnie Kate. Ten property laws of a child. You ever heard these? You know any of them? The ten property laws of a child. Uh, where's Mr. Andy? Is he here today? Can you explain what property laws are, Mr. Andy? Nine tenths of the law is what? Property? Ownership. Possession is nine tenths of the law. Is that right? That's what I always heard. Okay. All right. Details. <laughs> Details. Whatever. Property laws refers to the fact that how do you know if something's yours, kids? How do you know if it's, if it's yours? A toy, a ball, a video game, a shirt, shoe? How do you know? Especially if there's more than one kid in your family, how do you know, how do you know that that thing is yours? When you're at school and you're, and you're, and you're learning and you're playing or you're, you're being taught, how do you know what's yours and what is someone else's? Here are the ten property laws of a child. If I like it, guess what? It's mine. Is that right? Kids, feel free to amen in any of these. Amen. Amen. If it's in my hand, right, Corbin? It is mine. Law number two. If I can take it from your hand, it's mine. All right. Number four. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. I've heard that one before. Number five. If it's mine, it must never ever appear to be yours in any way. Fifth property law. Number six, if I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine. Number seven, if it looks just like mine, then it's mine too. If I saw it first, then of course it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it's mine. And number ten, if it's broken, it's yours. Is that how it works, kids? Yeah, most of the time. There you go. That really came under the heading of toddlers, but uh, you guys amen to all of them, so I guess they count for you as well. Kids, kids. You're in here on a good Sunday because Paul is preaching to you. In Colossians chapter 3, the verses are going to be on the screen. We have been talking about the relationships that should be growing in the Christian family. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is talking about General relationships in chapter 3, that we should treat each other kindly and nicely and we should be forgiving and patient and broad things like that. We should all be those kind of things for each other. And you remember last month uh, when you guys were in here, Grady was up here and I put all the funny clothes on him. And we talked about all the garments as Christians that we're supposed to wear in our, in our Christianity, those things like love and patience and, and forgiveness, right? So Paul has talked about all those general ways that we are supposed to be in relationships as Christians. But then, he got more specific. And while you were gone over the last few weeks, we've been talking to husbands and wives. We've been talking about marriage relationships. And Paul, Paul says very specifically, here's what these relationships are supposed to look like. Well, this week, I'm glad you're back because verse 20 is geared towards you. And here's what it says. Children, be obedient to your... What's the word there, Q? Parents, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. No questions. <laughs> in all things, it's probably probably a fair question. What, what if they ask me to do something crazy? Well, in Paul's mind, when he writes this letter, there are so very few things that you should not do when your parents ask you, that it's not even worth mentioning. All right? So let's just take it for granted that when Paul says, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, he means all things. It's a safe bet for you kids that when your parents ask you to do something or when they try and train you on something, that they probably know what they're talking about. One of the ways that I've helped Grady to understand this as he's gotten older is, when he starts to think that maybe dad is off his rocker, maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, I remind him of how old I am, right? And what I'll do is I'll ask Grady, how old are you? Grady, how old are you? Nine. And then I'll say, how old is dad? Thirty-seven's fine. Whatever you want to go with. <laughs> Thirty-eight, right? And I don't really make him do all that math, but I just show him, look, I've lived like three of your lives already, okay? So Dad probably knows what he's talking about. Is that safe to assume? And he always has to agree, Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So kids, this is pretty simple, and Paul doesn't make it very complicated. Your job as a child of your parents is to listen to your parents and to be obedient to your parents. That's that's your job. And in fact, that word to listen, if you were to look at it in the in the original language that Paul wrote it, that word listen really means to to sit under or to listen under the the authority or the voice of your parents. And so that's a good picture maybe for you. Just like your parents are probably taller than you, right? And you're smaller than them, while you're underneath them, you are to be underneath their authority and you listen to them. Right? So it's your job, just just take it from Pastor Darrell, that your job when you're living in your house is to Listen to your parents. Now, the reason you're told to listen to your parents is because your parents are told to teach you. And so, parents, you thought you were getting away, but I'm going to actually give verse 21 today as well. Because I want the kids to hear it. Verse 21 says this. Not only are children to obey their parents, but Paul gives a caveat. Fathers, do not exacerbate, and that's a big word, I'll talk about it in a second. Do not exacerbate your children so that they will not lose heart. And so, kids, you get get instruction from Paul. You get an order from the Apostle Paul. Kids, you're supposed to do this. Your job is to listen to your parents. But right behind that, in the same breath, before Paul even puts a period, he adds this next sentence. Fathers... And moms, let me just tell you, you don't necessarily get out of the agreement here, okay? There's a reason, and I'll talk about it in just a second, there's a reason why fathers are, are targeted here, because we're going to have the weight of this responsibility, that's one reason. But also, we are the ones that tend to exasperate more and cause our kids to lose heart, and that's just part of how we are wired, and so we have to, we have to get this warning squarely, fathers, Okay? But there is, some, there is some sense in which this word fathers also includes mothers. And I'm not going to go into all that, but just take my word for it. You don't, you don't get out on this one. This is, a, this is a keen warning for you as well. So kids, you have a job, but your mom and dad have a job as well. And in their job of raising you, of teaching you, of training you, God gives your parents a stern warning through the Apostle Paul. Your parents ever give you a warning? your parents ever warn you about dangers of things? Well, the Apostle Paul, after giving you your job, now turns to your mom and dad and gives them a stern warning. Fathers, specifically, but also mothers, listen up. There's a danger here in your job. In your job to raise your kids, there's a danger that you could exasperate your children and cause them to lose heart. Now, let me talk about that verse. All right? Moms and dads, that word exasperate could also be translated, and maybe some of your, your Bibles translate it stir up. In the Greek, it's a which literally means to have no, no passion, no ambition. If you exasperate your kids, maybe you can think about some of you uh, medical minded people. What does uh, uh, aspirate refer to? An aspiration. It's a breath. It's a breath. To exasperate means that you cause your children to essentially run out of breath. You cause them to lose their ambition, to lose their passions. To exasperate is the idea of having no more wind. You take the wind out of your child's sails, you cause them to essentially lose heart. They lack motivation. There is a sense in which Paul warns us here that in the raising of our kids, if we're not careful, we can, we can take the wind right out of their sails. With the way we treat our children, moms, dads, we can cause our kids to just want to give up. How does this happen? Generally speaking, it happens when we put such expectations and wrong expectations, either lofty or just misplaced expectations on our kids, that our kids feel they can never reach the goals you've set for them as your children, they, they try and they try and they try. And finally, they just exhale and realize there's no way I'm going to be able to please mom. There's no way I'm going to be able to please dad. Now, parents, let me go a little deeper here for you. Anybody ever know, maybe yourself or you know someone well enough to know that they were raised at, under under authority, under parents? did this very thing to them, and now they're adults, and they still struggle because of it. Anybody? I sure do. And I've got I've got a good bit of it myself. So that's the danger for us, parents. And it's a great danger. Um, one pastor said, and I thought this was interesting, one pastor said that when we raise kids, we really should raise them like you raise a puppy. That seems a little That seems a little lowly. Uh, I would add to that, that that no man specifically as fathers, no man should have children until he's had a dog. Amen, Kimberly? Uh, I feel so bad for my first child, Reese Cup, our 100-pound golden retriever. And Kimberly reminds me of this very often. I was not a very good daddy to our first dog. Um, But as I think back, I'm sure glad I had that dog. Before I had kids. Grady, you're sure you're sure lucky I had Reese before we had you. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Dads especially. How do you, how do you, how, as I look back now, we don't have any animals right now, but I'd like to get another dog and we talk about when we're going to get another puppy. Uh, I'd love to have another, I'd love to have another chance at having a dog, right? My wife is not so sure, but I'd love to have another chance. Poor Reese Cup is long gone now and uh, we adopted her out and now she's passed on. I don't have that chance again. And I regret a whole lot of how I raised our puppy. Luckily, I learned some of those lessons with her before our kids came along. But I'd love to have another chance with a puppy because how, how do you raise a puppy? Here are a couple things I've learned. One of the ways you raise a puppy, the right way, is you just take it with you wherever you go. Next time I get a dog, i got to make sure I have a truck because it's going to be one of those dogs that just rides along with me wherever I go. And and I'll just take it to work. I'll take it to the grocery store. I'll just do whatever I can do. And it'll stay in the truck. I won't, I won't take it in. But but that's one of the ways you raise a dog in the right way. You take it with you. Is that, is that helpful in raising children as well? Yeah. You take your kids with you. You don't just, that's a whole other sermon for another day, but you don't just leave them at home. You don't want to leave them in the car. So it doesn't match up perfectly, but you get my point, right? If you're raising a dog, sometimes you need to discipline your dog, right? You take it with you all the time, and sometimes your dog gets out of line, and you, and you need to correct your, your puppy, right? And, and that's needed that when your puppy gets out of line, or when it bites a kid or when it does something, you, you've got to train your child. You've got to train that puppy, you've got to discipline it, right? And that's the same thing with kids. But what happens with a, with a puppy if you go too far, parents? Can you exacerbate your your doggy? Yes, you can. and, and I, I'm afraid that I, I probably crossed that line a few times, out of frustration with Reese Cup. I did. And it didn't help any, did it? Moms, dads. It's certainly true with our kids. So we have this we have this great responsibility, don't we parents? Because there is this great danger that we can do damage in raising our children. Kids, we want you to know that you have a job. But hear Pastor Darrell say to you that we have a job too. And our job is very difficult. And until we had kids, we never had kids. Maybe we had a puppy and we learned some things and that helps a little bit. But as parents, kids, this is our first time at this. We never had you until we had you. And another difficult thing is that all of you are different. It would be easy if all of you were the same and we could compare notes and we could say, oh yeah, when they do this, you do this. But that's not how it works. Right? Right? In my own family, I've got two boys, and, and they're very different. Parents who have multiple kids, you know this. You spend any time in the back with our children, you know this. And sometimes, early on in your parenting, by the way, you start to look at other parents and you're like, why would they let their kids do that? I cannot believe that they do not blah, 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 blah. Listen, I've said this before. Be careful, especially in, even in the Christian body. Be careful giving people advice about especially two things, how they spend their money or where they spend their money and how they raise their kids. I'm just warning you, alright? Walk very carefully in any way that you start to admonish or correct or even challenge people on how they spend their money, even in the Christian body, or how they raise their kids. One of the reasons that's true is because we we just have we have different kids. Right? We have different kids. And so kids, hear me say very well, it's hard being a parent. It's hard being a parent. And so, here's what I want to do, kids. In order to help your parents understand what verse 21 means for their job, I want to give you seven things that will help us as parents, okay? But I'm going to give these to you, and here's one of what I'm going to do. It's one of Pastor Daryl's tricks. I'm going to talk to you, but really what I'm going to be doing while I'm talking to you is talking to your parents. And your parents are kind of going to lean back and say, well, he's talking to our kids today, and so I'm not having to worry about it, but every now and then it's going to hit them upside the head that I'm really talking to them while I'm talking to you. You tracking with me? You get it? Okay. So just wink, wink, your parents don't know, but I'm coming at them right here. But I'm talking to you, right? So here we go, kids. Here are, here are seven things that we need to learn as parents, that, that your parents need to learn. And if your parents aren't doing these things, then guess what? We should be. Now, it's not your job to tell them they should be doing it, so don't go there, right? It's not your job to train up your parents. It's your job to train up them. But it'll help you to know what our job is, I think, okay? Okay? So, number one, one helpful tip and tool, and these aren't all mine. I've got them from various sources. Number one, kids, your parents should never discipline you out of anger or because they're just irritated with you. Discipline is part of raising children. It is. It's part of having a puppy. But guess what, kids? It's not right for your parents to discipline you out of simple anger or common irritation. Moms, dads, have you ever just been irritated by your kids? They get in the way of the TV. They don't do what you've told them to do 15 times already. Whatever the case may be, there's plenty of times when irritation happens in parenting. Parents, write it down. Discipline should not happen out of anger or just because you are irritated with your child. Discipline is used in the family for training your child in the way they should go. Discipline is to be a teaching tool. There's to be wisdom behind it. There's to be thought behind it. There's to be instruction in discipline. It is not to just flame up like gasoline on a fire. It's not to be a burst of anger. And it's not just to be out of irritation. You got in the way, so let me push you out of the way. The reason I say that, parents, is because that can happen. Do we get angry? Yeah. Do we get irritated? Yes. Discipline is not to come out of anger or irritation. It's to come as a part of training towards righteousness, towards truth, towards health, towards safety. Never, I heard a pastor say this recently, never raise your voice when you're disciplining your child. Um, is that difficult, especially for fathers sometimes? Yeah. Now let me give you a little caveat here, all right? and this isn't just an excuse. There, there, there might be a small window of times in raising your kids where raising your voice is called for. Your child's about to step into a busy street. Do whatever means are necessary to get their attention. Amen? All right? So... Uh, that, that might call for it. So there, there are some situations like that. I, I'm not talking about those. What this pastor said was, he said, he said, you ought never raise your voice. Instead, you ought to treat uh, parenting, especially fathers, treat parenting like, uh, like you were a referee in a, in a sporting event. And I thought about that for a second. I thought, I think that's good. And I kept listening, and here's what he said. He said, when a referee steps into a game and makes themselves known, they throw a yellow flag to get the attention of the players. They blow a whistle, they throw a flag, and they stop the game. They don't yell, they don't chastise the players, they don't embarrass the players, they don't come down harshly, they don't scorn the players, they simply stop the game, get the players' attention, explain the penalty, explain the infraction, and then issue the correct penalty. For that infraction. Now that, that that might be a good example for how we ought to parent and even discipline. It's it's not called for that we have to elevate and scare our children, but we step in, we get the attention, we throw a flag, we blow a whistle, we do what's called for, and then we explain the rule that gets broken. And if there's a penalty for that infraction, then their penalty comes. But it's not out of anger. Have you ever seen a referee? throw a flag at a guy like trying to hurt him, trying to hit him. I mean, every now and then it happens. I remember one time, kids, when I was playing football, the referee threw a flag and it went straight into my face mask, hit me right in the face. Penalty wasn't even on me and I got hit with it, literally. So that's not our job, parents. Maybe we ought to consider it more like a referee. So discipline out of anger or irritation is not called for. Kids, your parents, along the same lines, here's number two, your parents aren't Called in their job to parent you, they aren't. They aren't called to scorn you. What do I mean by that? Maybe you would understand it better this way. Their their job isn't to call you names. And if that happens, I'm sorry. It shouldn't happen. Kids, your moms and your dads shouldn't scorn you or label you with derogatory names. Hey, stupid! That was dumb. You idiot you ever heard some of those hard words kids they're not nice are they when you hear other kids using some of them at school you you feel deep down inside of yourself something's not right about that you know what's worse is when a mom or a dad uses words like that you dummy moms and dads that has to be gone scorning your child in those ways does does damage that you cannot simply repair with an "I'm sorry." Amen. How many of you adults lived through that sort of thing, and know that even even an "I'm sorry" moments later, and even "I'm sorry" uh, years later, still leaves a scar that you are living with to this day. It's 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 that big of a deal, and it can be just just one word. That's why scripture gives us harsh warnings adults on how we use our words. It calls our words our, our tongue a dagger and a serpent, a venomous animal. It's poisonous. You can do that in just one word. So don't don't label your kids. Don't 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 put a don't put an edict on them that they would then begin to believe is somehow true. Don't out of anger or frustration or irritation call truth into the life of your child. That's not true. That's not what God would say about them. It does damage. It does damage. Um, number three, kids, your parents, your parents should never, um, should never live in such a way that it seems that they're asking you to do things that they don't do themselves. Now, let me say, kids, there are some things that are for adults and there are some things that aren't. And I won't go into what all those things are. Your parents can explain those things to you. Sometimes moms and dads have to remind you that you're kids. Every now and then, Kimberly and I have to remind our boys that this is an adult conversation. It's not a, it's not a kid's conversation and we we don't at this point need your advice in this situation. Let the adults figure this out. Right? So there are some things that are, that are adult level things and they're kid level things. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is that sometimes moms and dads ask kids to do things that they're just simply not willing to live up to themselves. Parents, you've probably got a list running through your mind right now of some of the things where you fall short in those areas where you've asked your kids to measure up but you're not willing to measure up. And I'll just let the Holy Spirit Take that where he wants to in your hearts. And and moms and dads, maybe you need to flesh that out. Maybe you need to talk about it. Maybe you need to let the Holy Spirit follow you out of here today and figure those areas out. There shouldn't be a sense of hypocrisy in our homes between parents and children. Our kids shouldn't look at us and be confused. And if there are areas where it's different and there are right areas where it's different, parents, we've got to find a way to, to explain those things. This is why it's different for mom and dad. Now, parents, sometimes you might find yourself trying to explain those things and realize that it makes complete no sense at all. And you've got to toss that silly rule out the window. Amen? All right. Number four. Don't create standards that are unattainable or just out of reach. Kids, your parents should give you standards, rules, and goals and have expectations that you can actually achieve. Do you know that? If mom and dad has given you, uh, given you expectations or rules that are just so far out of your reach that you feel like you fail every time you try, then that's not good. I'm sorry. We shouldn't do that. Moms and dads, how many of you lived through a household where the expectations were such that you felt like, and even now looking back as an adult, You felt like, you know what, I never could measure up to what my dad wanted. And if you had to put a word on it, exacerbate may be a good one. That at some point you just found yourself out of breath. The wind was out of your sails. You just threw in the towel. And now you live with that unmet expectation between you and your father or you and your mother. You and your parents. That's, that's no way to grow up, is it? So kids, parents ought to give us attainable goals. They ought to have expectations of us that are realistic for us. Realistic for us when we're three. Realistic when we get to be eight. Realistic when we turn 13. And those things change, don't they, kids? Yeah? As you get older, there's more stuff that you're expected to do, right? When you can reach the dishes, you might have to start doing dishes. But until then, maybe you can fold towels on the floor, Parents, be be so careful that we not give our kids expectations, stated or inferred, stated or implied, that our kids never really can measure up to. Dads, we specifically, especially with sons, something about American males puts expectations on our sons that we find honor in giving them expectations that they can never reach to. As if we think that if we ever give them an expectation they can meet, they'll just stop and then they'll quit and they'll be lazy for the rest of their life. And so we forever keep our satisfaction with our children just out of reach. And therefore our kids feel like they never quite measured up to mom and dad's expectations. That can't be the way we parent. Don't create standards that are unattainable, just out of reach. Be careful not to say, Hey, good job. But you know what? You could have done this. You ever found yourself saying those sort of things? Moms, dads? Hey, you did a great job here. But you know what? You could have done much better. Anyone ever have a mom or a dad like that? That that's how you that's how you lived? All right. Number. Where are we at? Five. Just a couple more. Hold on. Kids. Your moms and dads, they need to find a way to show you that they love you because you are their child, not because of the things that you do. They love you because you are their boy or you're their girl, not because you're a good boy or you're a good girl. Parents, let me say it to you this way. Don't teach your kids to perform for their acceptance. Find a way to teach them that they are accepted no matter what their performance is. Tracking with me, moms, dads? For those of you who are in uh, the life group, dealing with the life, how does Bill put it? Your acceptance is not based on your performance. Your acceptance is based on what? Your birth. Birth determines your identity. Performance does not determine your identity. If you're born a bird, it doesn't matter if you never fly at all. You're a bird, right? But if you're born a pig, and you... That doesn't work because the pig did not have anything to flap. Huh? Give me something here. If you're born a pig... And you go up to the top of the the hen house and you try and jump off and fly. You're never going to become a bird, are you? You're still a pig. What determines who you are is not the things you do. It's how you were born. The love you have for your kids, mom and dad, has to be strictly because they're your son. They're your daughter. If it becomes about how well they do in school, be very careful. If if your acceptance or your love for your child starts to starts to be based on how they perform in their sports be very careful anybody grow up in a home adults where as you look back the measure of the love your parents had for you seemed to be whether they intended it to be or not that's not the, that's not the important thing is it how many of you look back and as you think about your, your parents, it seemed to be that you had greater acceptance when you did well at the ball game or when you did well at your recital or when you brought home a report card that met their expectations. How many of you felt more loved then than ever before? There ought to be some attaboys, right? There ought to be some good job, um, But it can't strictly or primarily be about how our kids perform. Moms, dads, it doesn't matter if your kid's a good looking kid, if he's a smart kid, if he's an athletic kid, if he's a popular kid, those can't be the reasons they feel loved at home. They need to know that your love is based on their birth into your family. That no matter what, if they're homely little kids, you love them anyway. If... They get the nickname of Grace in their athletic performances. Just kidding. Kimberly's nickname was Grace, but it's because her toe touch and cheerleading was perfect and so graceful. And I just pointed out the other day that typically kids get named Grace, not because they're graceful. But anyway, don't do that. Husbands, it's not a good thing to do. Where was I? Your identity, your acceptance needs to be based on your birth, not your performance. Adults, haven't we been teaching that for a long time here around Cornerstone? God doesn't love you because of how well you perform. He loves you because you are His son or you are a daughter of the King. What did we sing earlier? Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. That's the love of the Father. What should the love of a parent be to their child? It should never fail. It should never give up. It never runs out, even if the performance don't meet the expectations. Um, I, I feel a, a heavy weight of this because I played sports into college, and, and I, you know I, I like sports, etc. And and, and I, I worry about this with my kids. And so I, I have to take extra measures, right, sometimes, and moms and dads, maybe you need to think this through, and whatever the area of your life may be, that your kids feel like the expectations might be higher. Maybe you need to find, find the right times to make sure they know, hey, I want you to do well. I want you to try hard. But you know what's more important than doing well in your ball game and trying hard? And scoring a touchdown or hitting a home run? It's, it's just that you try hard. It's that you're, you're a good teammate. It's that you respect your coach. Uh, Grady had his last flag football game yesterday. And um, Grady, towards the end of the game, called you over to the sideline, which was kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird. you remember what I said to you? I said it twice before you went back in the game. What did I say? Do you have a hint of what it is? Come on, it's important because it. it, it other than that, I'm, I look like a bad parent. Now I said to be a good, be a good sport, be a good sport. He threw a touchdown, threw a couple touchdowns, scored a touchdown, got a flag for a safety, and I, and it just hit me. You know what? He needs to know before this game's over. Those things are great at a boy. Hey, before this game's over, make sure you're a good sport. Be a good sport. Um, I have to remind myself to do those things, and I have to sometimes be intentional. Mom's dad's, the point is, be intentional. Don't let your kids feel like your acceptance of them or the level of your love for them has anything to do with how good or how bad a boy they are. Even when you discipline your kids, you teach them, I'm doing this because I love you. Um, That leads me to the next one, number six. Kids, your parents should never withhold fellowship with you after they discipline you. What does that mean? If you ever feel like after you've been disciplined by your parents, now they give you the silent treatment and they ignore you, or they act like they don't want to be around you, I'm sorry. We shouldn't do that. Moms and dads, we shouldn't do that. Kimberly is great about reminding me that the punishment needs to be the punishment and and it doesn't need to be five other things after that. The penalty for that infraction needs to be the penalty for that infraction and and don't hold it against our children in five other ways. Dads especially, when you discipline your kids, don't ignore them for the next 20 minutes. Don't give them the silent treatment on top of whatever the penalty was. You know why? Because what they hear, what they see is Dad wasn't unhappy with my conduct. He is unhappy with me. Correct the conduct, but maintain the relationship. Don't, don't let your child walk away feeling like they, not, they don't just hate the thing I did, they hate me. And that can happen, can it? Uh, by the way, a lot of time it happens when we discipline out of anger or irritation, then we walk away and we give our kids the silent treatment. From beginning to end, we fail. Kids, that ought not to be the way we parent. Last one. Be careful, parents and kids. If we've done this, we're sorry. We should never compare you to other kids, even other kids in, their own, in our own family. It's a big temptation, and sometimes we like to use it as a teaching tool sometimes. Like, didn't you see what so-and-so did? Would, would so-and-so ever do that? little Johnny, little Sally. You never see such and such doing that, do you? Um, There's a great danger in doing that, parents. And even if you think there's some advantage to pointing out what another kid is doing well, there's a great danger in doing that as well. Think about what that might communicate to your child. Parents, let me end with you since I've been talking to the kids the whole time. Um, You've got to become experts in your field. And I, I think I've said this before, but this is such a, uh, an important role that we have and it's such a difficult one. You've got to become an expert in the field. Mom, Dad, you might need to put down the newspaper or put down the novel and find some real knowledge on how to raise a son, how to raise a daughter, how to raise a five-year-old, and how is it different to raise a 12-year-old? How do I raise a child in a mixed family? How do I raise a child in a single-parent family? Whatever the situation is, you got to figure it out. Whatever the difficulty is, it's your job, Mom. It's your job, Dad, to become an expert in that field. Amen? Uh, I put just half a dozen books up here. Just what I could grab immediately off the shelf at home uh, that have been meaningful to me or Kimberly even, uh, because I didn't read that one, and I can't tell you I read that one, but she has. Um, books that, that are valuable to you. And, and so I just give you these as samples. They, they're of worth to me. They, they can be of worth to you. So so borrow these. Look at the titles before you leave and, and go find them yourselves. Whatever the case may be, uh, whether it's these or others, you, you got to become an expert in the field because we only have a window of time with these kids, right? Amen. There are some psychologists that say you've got you've got from the age of birth to 5 to accomplish these things. And then from 12 to 20, you've got you've got time to accomplish these sort of things. And if you miss those windows, then we're playing catch up, right? We're playing we're playing catch up. And and that's that's never that's never an easy game. Parents, let me give you just a couple, couple bits of advice here beyond that. One of the most important things I've learned, if I if I was thinking about just this morning, if I had to just give you one of the most important things that I've learned in in the few short years that Kimberly and I have been parenting, um, it's 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 almost a confession, but it's uh, it's learn the learn the power of an apology, learn the power of a good apology, mom, dad, learn how to say I'm sorry to your kids. Now. Don't be fooled by the enemy in thinking that if you ever apologize to your kids, you're showing them a weakness. That is the exact opposite. You show great power and authority and leadership when you apologize to your children. I've found, by accident, I'll confess to you, that some of the best teaching moments that I've had with my sons are when I have to go back to them and say, Hey man, Dad dropped the ball right here. I was out of line. I was just irritated I responded out of anger. I was short-tempered. Whatever the case may be, Dad shouldn't have done this. You know what I found? That that's the easiest time to teach my sons. Hey, Dad shouldn't have done this. Here's why. You know how, how open those ears and hearts become when I'm confessing my faults to them? And they start to internalize that and say, you know what? Dad doesn't feel like that's the right thing to do. I don't think I should do that either. It's it's a powerful teaching tool. Learn the art of a good apology with your kids. Here's a few things that it does. It calls sin, sin. When I apologize to my son, it confesses. That was sin. And what do they know when they start to do it down the road? That's wrong. And so a good apology calls sin, sin. A good apology shows them honor. It shows them honor. They are under our authority, but they have great value and equal rights at the throne of God they deserve apologies sometimes they need to be treated with dignity and respect and honor and grace and they need to sense that a good apology brings honor to your children a good apology earns respect it earns respect I have a suspicion in my sons that part of the reason to whatever degree they respect me at their age part of the reason is is solely based on, on the fact that I've been willing a time or two to say I'm sorry And that opens up the door for for other teachings, for other instruction. A good apology admits what your child instinctively already knows, mom and dad. Namely, that you're not perfect. They already know it. I mean, they're sensing it, even at a young age. Mom and dad aren't perfect. You know what it does? It validates that, that sense that they already have. It takes pressure off of your child to be perfect. When you confess to your kids that you're not perfect, guess what? It lowers that unrealistic expectation that you might put on them that they're to be perfect. It teaches them to value their relationship over the rules. When you go back and you say you're sorry, that apology is because of the relationship you have with them. Whatever the rule or the infraction might be, that's secondary to the relationship you have with them. If you've handled it wrong and you apologize, guess what? You show them that you value the relationship you have with them above whatever the, the rule or whatever the infraction was. Finally, it teaches the lost art of confession. And that's right and it's okay to confess your sins. Amen? Confess your sins one to another. That's what we're told to do in the body of Christ. And we'd start at home. Would that be helpful? To confess our sins to our kids. I think it is. I think it is. Kids, your parents aren't perfect. So what can you do? You can pray for them. You've got to take your job seriously, kids. The Bible says you're to obey your parents. That's your job. We've got a difficult job too. I think you understand a little better why I say that. We've we've really got to be careful with you. We've really got to be careful. You know what? You can pray for your parents you can pray for your parents. And for maybe you big kids, I'll close with this. Your parenting may not be what it ought to be in no small part due to the fact that the parenting you received was nowhere near what it ought to be. And you're sitting there as a big kid and you're thinking not about primarily how these things impact the way you raise your kids, but all you keep thinking about is your daddy or your mommy. And how they dropped the ball in one of these areas. Or maybe in many of these areas. Um, In much the same way that I as pastor. In the position that I hold here at this church. Have been issuing apologies to these kids. Have you heard me say I'm sorry to them? For you? For us? In much the same way. Let me tell you I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Grown kids for whatever daddy you had that put unrealistic expectations on you and has left you a mess now. I'm sorry for what your your mama did when you were a kid and they messed up in some of these ways. And your Heavenly Father is sorry. Thanks be to God that our Heavenly Father, His love never fails, it never gives up, and it never runs out on us. Amen? And He is forever and ever the ultimate model for fathers and mothers everywhere. Pray with me. Father God, thank You for for loving us with a love that is perfect, with a love that is agape, with a love that is is not based on our performance, but it's based on the simple fact of who You are. The Bible tells us, Father, that You are love. That You are love. I pray that as Christ lives in us, Father, we become love too. I pray that as we seek that that fatherly love here on earth, that we would find it in You if we find it lacking here. And I pray that as we, we we try and become the fathers and mothers that we were intended to be here on this earth, I pray that uh, we would forever look to You as our example. Lord, none of us are perfect. We weren't perfect kids. We're not perfect parents. But I'm glad that we have a Bible to to learn more about our perfect Father and the perfect Son that You sent. You did it right on both ends, Lord. So we thank You. Lord, give us grace where we need grace. Heal hearts where hearts need to be healed. Lord, I pray that, that the children under the sound of this teaching this morning that some of these things will be sealed to their heart by the Holy Spirit even if they are not in Christ as yet that your Holy Spirit would divinely remind them of these things on difficult days and for the remaining of their days on this earth in Jesus name